RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. It's 7 p.m. And do you know what time it is? It's buffer time. Actually, it's time for another installment of Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau, and I'm really excited to come up from the Lower Decks, finally, to talk to you all about, well, Lower Decks. So make sure to call and chime in. Click on the Zoom meeting link or use the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 699-900-6833 and enter the meeting code. All those details are available to you in the Facebook chat or on your screen. And Earl is standing by to take your calls. Let's take a look at what's going on in the chat room here. If I can actually bring up the chat room. I'm not John, so, you know, uh, obviously, right? So uh, John's really good at this. I'm just kind of like, you know, working my way through. Lower decks are truly running wild today. We are. are. (laughs) Margarita times. We have Chris Raker, David Allen Brown, Alan Perry, Steve. Well, no, Steve says, we'll look forward to seeing the show in the UK. Have fun, everyone. So we'll see you later, Steve. You'll see us later. Thomas Kozak, Sean Lennon. Hey, there's Chris Riker all over the place. Lou, Lou, Lou's here. Paul Harveth is here. Um, Pete Archibald is here. Hey, Pete, how you doing? Brian Michael Warman. Three names, very difficult to get through. Sometimes. He's going for that Brian Michael Bendis feel. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's very important with the three names. Uh, Paul Wright Jr., again, with the Pauls. You know, our show was very famous with all the Pauls. So thanks, everyone. David Takechi, thanks for coming here. Tate, thank you for coming in. John Champion's here. Really? Well, why aren't you working, bro? <laughs> oh, you know why? Because he's a commander and commanders don't work. They just command. Right? Yeah. I mean, why would you even want to be an officer? All they do is all the boring stuff. Talk about protocol. <laughs> I don't know why you're not voicing a voice for Lower Decks. You sounded just like a Lower Decks character. <laughs> that was you. amazing. Somebody get her on Lower Decks. And speaking of her, welcome to my co-host, Ashley Robinson. Ashley V. Robinson. How the V you? is very important. Ashley Robinson is a WNBA player. I don't want to fight for SEO. <laughs> Ashley V. Robinson is with us again for our third installment of Lower Deck. So I'm glad to have you here. How are you doing? I am doing so good. Uh, dying of heat, stroke, and smoke, and fire. Apparently, we live on Vulcan now, which uh, I'm, I'm not against personally. I love a good Vulcan, but no, I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing, our I'm new doing- captain? <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm nervous like Boimler, but don't worry. I'll get us all straightened out at the end. And hopefully, uh, maybe John will bestow upon me the greatest, worst accolade in the universe. I hope I he hope. gives you a plaque. I hope I get a statue with an eagle. That's yeah. what I really hope. The great bird of the galaxy. It's so funny. good. Such a good Easter egg. Right? <laughs> I love stuff like that. And that, I mean, Lower Decks is like rife with Easter eggs and they make me smile so much. I just want to let kind of catch everyone up on kind of like where I'm at because I haven't been able to talk about Lower Decks a lot, you know, for uh, the, the first two Mission Logs live. Or is it Mission Log Lives? I think it's Mission Logs Live grammatically. Who knows? They didn't give me that, that test at Lower Decks <laughs> Academy. <laughs> That's but not I, part of the, uh, the Kobayashi Maru at all. <laughs> no, there they, um, really isn't a no-win scenario with grammar unless you're actually hit up by the grammar police, of which happens. Have you occasion. been to Twitter lately? I try not, <laughs> <laughs> I try not. and it's funny I was um I was trying to like to fit you into the intro and and then somebody commented and was like you're leaving Ashley out in the cold no I didn't leave Ashley Robinson out in the cold I brought in Ashley V Robinson from the cold that's right also I'm Canadian so I'm like good with the cold 
<laughs> no big deal. Like my captain, William Shatner. Yes. Yes. From Canada, Toronto, not, or yes. I'm, he also uh, started in Stratford, Ontario, and I'm from Stratford, Ontario. So we have right. a we have a deep connection, me and this man I've never met. <laughs> you know, I from what I understand, uh, he and Christopher Plummer work together mm-hmm. in the Canadian Royal Shakespeare Company. And if this is, I don't know if it's true, but I like to believe it's true that the reason why he has his style is because every time he was brought up as an understudy for Christopher Plummer, he wasn't exactly sure of his lines, so he had to catch up, pause catch up with everything else (laughs) (laughs) you know i would like that to be true especially because it shakespeare is so particular and it's so about the rhythm so that good dramatic pause could save you when you're reading the lines in your head i like that we're gonna say that's true i like that that's uh that'll work for me and it works in definitely my headcanon for for shatner so i just want to let all the listeners know that what's coming up here on mission log we have a very special interview that we released today, August 24th, uh, our interview with Walter Koenig, uh, who plays Chekhov, but more importantly, who played Mr. Al Bester on Babylon 5, our resident telepath extraordinaire. So it's a really, really amazing conversation. It's very candid. He let down a lot of walls, and he, and he, he draws you in with his stories. Have you had a chance to hear that yet, Ashley? I haven't. It's in my queue. So it's the thing I'm going to be listening to actually when we wrap today. But I'm dying to hear it because I love the very handsome Mr. Walter Koenig. It's in your continuum, right? Yes. Your queue continuum. (laughs) Quote, unquote. So (laughs) hopefully everybody has a chance to listen to that. I really encourage you to because he has some really fantastic stories. Stories that you probably may not have heard. It, It sounded like with a couple of them they were revealed for maybe the first time or haven't been repeated for a while and really allows you to get into kind of like just where he is right now in his personal space. So I think that's fantastic. Now, one thing we also have to talk about is this really interesting, I guess it would be a contest to try and figure out who stole all of Rod's assets from the Sansar VR room. I've seen, I just watched the promo ad for that. And I think that's really funny. I think that Rod is a great sport doing that. But if you don't know what I'm talking about, so join the Roddenberry Recover mission in Sansar. Sign up free at sansar.com and join the scavenger hunt for all the missing artifacts from the Roddenberry Museum. You can play in VR mode or any PC running Windows 7 or higher. Hopefully you're running Windows 7 or higher. And the winner will get an Oculus Rift and runners will get Amazon gift cards. What? Yeah. So if you're not playing in VR now and you win the contest, you'll be playing in VR later. And I think that's super cool. So today's clue, make sure that you listen carefully, open up your subspace frequencies, listen carefully. Clues may be more difficult than they seem. This is a clue that is fit for the silver screen. I'll say that again. Clues may be more difficult than they seem. This is a clue that is fit for the silver screen. And away you go. Boom! (laughs) (laughs) Somebody somewhere knows it immediately. (laughs) Unfortunately, Ashley, I was going to ask you about the polls, but something happened, and I don't know if it's buffer time, too many margaritas, uh, too many ensigns running around, running into each other, trying to get our poll numbers up, but our polls just aren't working this week on Facebook. 
Sad face. Uh, you know, I think our head engineer may be on shore leave because, and listeners don't know this, but there have been several many technical questions floating around the Mission Log Live ethos today. So, but that's okay. We'll get back to that next week and we will answer everyone's questions. We'll chat about everyone's opinion then. I had one that I talked about with John and you might dig this one and maybe the listeners might dig this one, but the question is, who would you like to see more shipped in the future of Lower Decks? Would it be Tandy and now I can't remember his name. Rutherford. Rutherford, thank you. Tandy and Rutherford or Mariner and Ransom. The, the correct answer is Tendi and Rutherford. <laughs> <laughs> I think in my notes, I have, a, I have a note about Mariner and Ransom, but we'll get to that when the episode... That's a great question uh, because last week all my comments were me being like, so excited that we're talking about this couple. I ship them so hard. Yeah, they're cute, right? They're so, they're so cute. cute. And we'll see what happens. And who knows? Maybe a future character might throw a monkey in that wrench. Who knows? A monkey? I, yes, a monkey in the wrench. And a monkey on lower decks would be amazing. Tell me Truly. Be, right? An ensign monkey. Oh, actually, it doesn't even have to be an ensign. It could be just a, a crewman monkey. What if it was like an admiral, though? What if they were the highest ranked officer, was a, a simian of some type? Oh, I am on board As an that. inversion of our human evolutionary expectations. We'll have to write, we'll have to talk to Mike and Chris Kula about that, see if we can make it happen for season two. Along you know, with that, Mike, you can call us at any time. We're very high rubble. Uh, we'll, work, we'll work at a reduced rate because no one's <laughs> working right now. <laughs> So what do you say we jump into a recap here? We'll do Let's a recap do and then um, we'll have some callers call in. We have callers lined up, ready to take, uh, nice. you know, uh, talk to us about Lower Decks this episode, talk to you. And uh, I'm going to sit back and kind of like let you guys do all the heavy lifting because you guys are pros. And Alrighty. I'm just a Lower Decks ensign. So here we go for Lower Decks, t- episode three, Temporal Edict. After Ensign Boimler's violin concerto is hijacked by Ensign Mariner's need to get her medal on with enough subspace base to offend even a Klingon captain, the USS Cerritos heads towards Cardassia Prime for a very special ceremony. Or at least that was the plan. Turns out that First Officer Jack Ransom has some bad news for Captain Freeman. She's been reprioritized from this once-in-a-lifetime-in-a-career peace summit to ferry gifts to Galarak 5, causing the captain to bemoan the USS Cerritos' reputation as the ship seen by Starfleet as a joke. It doesn't know why. In the brig, the Lower Decks crew successfully tests the feel integrity of a holding cell's force field, and afterwards, Boimler and Tendi learn a very valuable lesson. Never tell the commanders how long it actually takes to finish a job because of a well-known Lower Decks tradition of enjoying margaritas during buffer time, a.k.a. breaching protocols as a team. Friendship! Meanwhile, Captain Freeman surveys the ship and, much to her annoyance, notices that her crew isn't as optimal as needed. A fact further punctuated when she engages Boimler in the turbo lift and grills him after he tries to impress the captain with his to-do list, which included skipping buffer time. Before Boimler can explain how he let slip the lower desk's backstep secret, a ship-wide edict commands them to boldly go where they have never gone before, on the clock. But hey, they're Starfleet. They're the best of the best. What could possibly go wrong in a week? Cut to everything. 
The Cerritos lower decks crews have gone from generally efficient to universally mayhem, except for Boimler, that is, overachieving as he has wont to do, as he loves purging systems. Purge, purge, purge. Perch, perch, perch. Perch, perch. <laughs> Running late for duty, Mariner is chastised by Commander Ransom as they load up the shuttlecraft Yosemite and head towards Galrak 5 to deliver a very important honor crystal. However, when they finally meet with the Galrakian envoy, it turns out by rushing to prep this meeting, the Bullion Ensign Vendum packed the wrong case. Instead of the Galrakian honor crystal, they had wood. Insulted beyond belief and beyond Commander Ransom's ability to peacefully negotiate the situation, no matter how impressive his command power stance was, the Galrakians captured the landing party while also sending assault ships and boarding parties to attack the Cerritos. Mired in their own endless chaotic loop of project deadlines, the Cerritos crew can't even deal with the Galrakians who have not only boarded the ship, but graffitied it as well. Always when he could do more, Boimler finds himself not only taking down a few raiders, but making his way onto the bridge and realizing that even the captain is more distracted with her efficiency clock than the Galrakians. Back on the planet, Mariner and Ransom are having it out in Galrakian prison. Mariner accuses Ransom of being a poser of an officer, while Ransom calls Mariner out for being insubordinate. Yes, I too feel the sexual tension rising. They can't even agree on which of them will use a sword given to them to fight the Galrakian pit champion, Vindor, to save the crew by right of combat. Pulling the sword from Mariner's hand, pulling rank, but most importantly, pulling his shirt off. Ransom stabs Mariner's foot and off to face Vindor, but he tosses the blade aside and in a series of textbook double axe handle combat maneuvers that Mariner's trying to convince herself are not hot, but really are. Ransom defeats Vinder and saves his crew from being crushed by a giant geode. Mmm, so ethical. As the Galrakians nearly breach the turbo lift to the bridge, Ensign Boimler makes one last-ditch attempt to convince the captain that she needs to delegate and let the crew take care of their duties as they did before. Once convinced, Captain Freeman dictates a new order to fight off the Galrakian invaders, and after beating back their entire boarding party, the captain realizes that there is room on her crew for buffer time. In fact, she even makes it official, calling it the Boimler effect. Mariner and Ransom come to a realization that they both have a little bit of admiration for each other and definitely love seeing each other outside of the uniform. But for Ransom, duty always takes precedence and has Mariner hauled off to the brig, and her response left him kind of hot and bothered. Mmm, so ethical. Boimler wondering what will ever come of this somewhat warped accolade that has been bestowed upon him. One thing is for certain, somewhere off in the far future, the Boimler effect is still revered, even memorialized in a statue, and spoken of in good company with the greatest hero of Starfleet ever, Chief Miles O'Brien. The end. And Go, Ashley. <laughs> I just love Miles. I love you, Space Nine. It made me so happy. Uh, and as a fan of the Miles O'Brien at work comic strips, I thought it was so great that we saw him pose at the console like that. I was like, oh my God, this is everything. Next, tell me how Julian and Garrick got married. It's all I want. It made me so happy in my little Niner heart. <laughs> now you have a ton of great notes here, like talking about some of your favorite moments. So let's hear what you have to say. Like what really stood out to you? What did you like chuckle with? Like just laugh out, guttural roll with? Oh what man. What was good for you? When 
we were originally going to Cardassia Prime. I was so excited because, like I said, big Deep Space Nine fan, very not so low-key obsessed with the Cardassians. I think they are one of the greatest looking races. I truly think they are so beautiful. And like they said that, and I like had my hand, I was like, yes, Mike is giving me what I want. And then we, I was, the Galrakians are really fun, really cute. My first round of notes, I'll say Galra because I'm also a Voltron fan. Oh, <laughs> but nice. that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was my first like moment of real glee in the episode was like, Cardassia Prime, what? And it's not a place, it's not an environment that we've seen a ton of. So I thought there was going to be a lot to mine there. Uh, but also as a crystal collector, I was pretty happy with what we got. <laughs> Are you bummed that you didn't see an animated Cardassian in this style? Yes, but there's lots of time left. So sure. I am hopeful that we will see one uh, because the Bajorans are really giving me life. And so are the Andorians. They're so freaking cute in this style. Mm-hmm. You got to love those animated antennae, right? And um, in the, this is way jumping ahead, but in the final scene, like we mentioned, where we see the class of kids, there's a little tiny baby Borg. And I am afraid of the Borg. I think they are so scary and so effective, but just a little baby Borg was so cute. So I I like what it implies that the Borg are now part of at least this education system, if not Starfleet. Like that is, there's a lot of interesting story to mine there because this is part of the grander canon as well. Yeah. I love that scene. I love seeing just kind of like the future and seeing all the kids learning about all this kind of stuff. And it's... The more and more and more I watch this show, the more and more I'm actually really falling for it. Like I said, it wasn't really my cup of tea at first, and it starts to just work on me and work on me and work on me until you see scenes like Boiler in the elevator, like singing or humming the Star Trek TNG hymn. And <laughs> I mean, Is that the moment where you were like, okay, I'm on board? <laughs> actually, I think the moment I was on board when the Klingon captain was like, are you mocking me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just willfully murders his engineer. <laughs> <laughs> the engineer, today you die. <laughs> <laughs> they do good with the Klingons. The Klingons are very funny in Lower Decks. Oh, yeah, totally, totally. Um, before we get to a couple of the callers, because we have a lot of callers lining up, how about a couple more of your favorite moments? Uh, so I loved in the opening scene with the white violin I'm watching Umbrella Academy right now, and it gave me like right. Umbrella Academy vibes. And I was like, ooh, Vanya, I yeah. see. And obviously, <laughs> it didn't work out quite the same way. Nobody got murderized, at least that we saw. So that was cool, just as a comic fan and like as a nerd. Uh, I loved uh, all of the discussion when we were first introducing the idea of buffer time. Like, yes, Lower Decks, uh, we're friends, breaching protocol together. Well, we're the funniest joke in Starfleet. Like, there's a lot of real meta commentary in this episode, which is something that I think animation gives you a real advantage of. So I like that we were referencing back to not the show within the show, but like, yes, we know that we're the animated funny Star Trek series. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, well, wait, hold on a second. Something did get murdered, and the, the violin itself got murdered. That's, you know what? Fair. Yeah. R.I.P. The white violin. Right, the white violin got straight up brutalized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Were you a fan of, uh, of Mariner's hardcore song? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And she just threw down. She's like, enough of this. We're going full metal and just rock that bass and bass so loud. It reminded me of that scene in, in uh, the hunt for it October when you can actually hear like the choir, like through the water. This is like, you can hear her bass, like through space. It, 
much to uh, like the Klingon captain's annoyance, which I thought was super funny. Soon to yeah. be on ringtones everywhere, I'm certain. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think we should take a few calls here? I think let's do it. All right. So first up here, Earl, uh, let's uh, have Chris come in. So Chris Bauer. In hey, what's up, Norm? Good what to say, see buddy? you. Good to see Ashley. you, too. Nice Good to, to meet see you. you both. Yeah, I'm out here. I got my, this is my cooling head covering. I'm out on my porch uh, having porch date with a friend. And so I, I wet this thing down and it evaporates. It keeps me cool. Yeah, very nice. That very is some high tech stuff, man. Yeah, um, but no, I like this episode. Very big fan of the, uh, the O'Brien joke at the end. Also a big fan of the comic, Ashley. I see you. I respect Thank you. you. Good stuff. Thank you. Um, <laughs> No, but I really like, after, I will say after episode two, I was getting a little concerned that we were going to fall into the trap of, like, Boimler will always be wrong and Mariner will always be right. And I like that this week, each of them gets to sort of grow a little bit. That Boimler gets to say that, yes, well, I may like all the rules. I get that that's not something everyone can do. He has his little moment at the end. And similarly, Mariner has her sort of moment with Ransom in the sick bay where, like, I, I may be the sort of, you know, feisty troublemaker, but you remind me about sort of the good that is Starfleet and why I'm here. So I like that we're getting a little bit of character growth because I know that sometimes in sitcoms and in animated shows especially, it's hard to do character growth just to the nature of the show. The nature of the sitcom is that people stay the same and you get the comedy out of those dynamics. And so to see just that little bit of growth was, was very nice to see. Yeah. I, I think that with Boimler and maybe it was the first episode that again, I have to watch again and, and I, I have to settle with, but there is kind of like an almost like a forced earnestness that was there, but I think it's, you know, it's purposefully done to show that there is a super eager ensign who wants to please like everybody that's higher in rank, especially on the bridge and I think that with Mariners, uh, maybe with her influence and a little bit of her expertise, she's kind of cluing him into, look, you can be a great officer. You just don't have to be everyone's expectation all the time, all at once. You're going to be great. You just have to kind of settle into your greatness. What do you think? Did, am, am I off base there? Or, or do you think that that's kind of the case? I mean, I think definitely... Oh, no, Oh, sorry. I think you've definitely nailed it. And I think that sort of ties into, to uh, skip a little bit again, to sort of morals, meanings, messages of this episode is that we need a little bit of Boimler and a little bit of Mariner in order to function because the idea of how rules work within Starfleet is very strange and suspect because we have all these hard and fast rules, but in order to make entertaining television, I mean, how many times have we broken the prime directive by every captain and every ensign and every, I mean, I want to say lieutenant because I'm kidding, every lieutenant, like the Starfleet rules are hard and fast, but they are narratively made to be broken. And we do need a bit from both, I think. Well, in order to have an entertaining television show, but also in order to push the boundaries of strange new worlds. Yeah, and I think that with, with Boimler and, and Mariner, you're seeing them kind of like at opposite ends of the spectrum. And, you know, one's super clean, you know, one's super rambunctious or rebellious, and a little can rub off on each other and make both of them really, really good and interesting characters. And maybe, this is just my theory, though, but maybe somewhere along the line, maybe Mariner was Boimler. And maybe because, I think so. you know, she followed the, the rules and she was so by the book because the nature of who she is and who her parents are, that she didn't use her best judgment, her own moral compass in some way that something went wrong. 
And she's like, you know what? If I just followed my own instincts that I've listened to rules and regulations, then that whatever it was wouldn't have happened. I think that's what's working on her. I don't think I'm far off base there. Well, I, I definitely agree with you there, Norm. I think that, you know, there's in the first episode, she said, you know, she used to be a lieutenant or whatever, and she got demoted down. And I don't know if she was ever as, like, cross your eyes and dot your T's as Boimler is, but I think definitely she, you know, was on some mission. And again, that goes back to the first episode of I'm going to give the stuff to the little farmer, to the little guy, because the little yeah. guy is not going to get noticed by Starfleet or he's going to get noticed too late. Uh, definitely, I think you're on base there. And just in this episode, similar, I think this idea that like Star Trek, being a Star Trek officer is a genre and you can be many types of Star Trek officer. And so I think you, it's about learning how exactly you're going to be a Star Trek officer. And just like you were saying, yeah, just sort of the learning experience between Boimler and Mariner and also a little bit, though less so with um, Tendi and Rutherford, that other sort of dynamic is sort of figuring out where you fit on the ship and how what's your place. Because everybody does have a place. That's sort of the deal with Starfleet. But you have to figure out where it is, and that's up to you. And that's sort of your journey. And I think that's going to be all of the Ensign's journeys as we go forward. And I think that makes them very identifiable with all of us. I'm sorry, Ashley, I didn't mean to. That's okay. Uh, we're all doing our best through Zoom. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I really like the point that Chris made that it wasn't just Boimler v. Mariner, and Mariner is going to be right the whole time to subvert expectations in this episode. And I think they handled that really intelligently by they don't share very many scenes together except bookending the episodes, whereas for the first two episodes, they're kind of pals with their arms locked off to see the wizard and it was interesting to watch them operate completely divorced of each other for this story yeah i totally agree i totally agree with you and chris i think you guys make great points uh chris we have time for about one more question for us and then we're gonna um we're gonna shove you back into the lower decks because your buffer time is almost <laughs> over <laughs> chris are you the extra who's always walking through in your towel that we've seen many times now? yes that is me you, you got it correct uh-huh um, i thought i recognized you <laughs> oh yeah um i liked this episode i liked the miles i liked the space graffiti and mm-hmm. i liked that you can just laser off space graffiti apparently with no structural damage to your wall that was <laughs> yeah. well was just like let me just let me just zap that off there it'll be fine I'm not gonna like burn any circuits uh huh. no i like all in all i've been liking lower decks like norm said it's been growing on me too i like the pilot a lot and then two i was like eh, but I, it's winning me back with three I think four is going to be good. Four seems to be the Mariner v. Mom episode, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, but yeah, we're, ha- we're having a good time here on the Cerritos. Yeah, and that's the most important thing. You know, we're, we're all enjoying it, you know, for the, for the reasons why we need to enjoy it, you know, and, and not for what we are expected to enjoy, right? And well I think that's most important. said. <laughs> Very well said. All right, Chris, it's good seeing you, my friend. Thanks for your call. All right, good to see you, man. All right, take Bye. care. And now our resident Vorlon, I mean, our resident Admiral, Admiral, the, the great Admiral, uh, how are you, sir? And uh, thanks for always being here. <laughs> oh, I'm doing fine, Norm. How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's good to see you again. You too. And you too, Ashley. Welcome back. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. So what's happening? How did you feel about season three? I mean, season three. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, ho- that's hopeful, huh? That's, that's seven weeks well, away, right? Yeah. <laughs> what is time? <laughs> yeah, what is time? It's very wibbly-wobbly here. It's really wibbly-wobbly. I mean, (laughs) episode three, how'd you feel about episode three? I thought it was, uh, you know, it was um, moving more towards the the standard sort of narrative structure of a Trek episode, I think, but that's not a bad thing. 
uh, I think there were less of the um, uh, the list like moments, right? Mm-hmm. So that was not something that was missed. I don't think um, a lot of forty sevens, a lot of forty sevens in there. Oh, I have to rewatch. I'm, I'm yeah, not. I'm not, not hip on these kind of things. Not as many as there could have been, but there were definitely a couple in key spots, especially as uh, when the captain was realizing that you know what was going on was you know had to, and how to fix it. That uh, there was a forty-seven on the timer right behind her at that moment, so that was cool. But I, I'm curious about one thing: is is it is it just me, or do you think that even though they had a lot of tasks, these guys should have figured out how to? defeat the boarding parties with spears without having to be told to ignore tasks. (laughs) You know, I like to look at this episode as a metaphor for anybody who's ever worked in retail or the food service industry, because I feel that right in my heart and soul. But there are, I think within the gag, there are like, you're absolutely right. Like there are way less advanced species. Boimler is really the only one who's like, I have a phaser with a stun setting on it. Like, (laughs) I mean, look, I've, I've been very tired in my time. Anyone who's been on a long haul flight, you know, when your brain is just full of cotton balls, but you know, maybe, maybe the reason they're on the Cerritos is maybe they just eked by in their officer training. <laughs> that you know, could be. The, the way I kind of saw that is like you said, it's a, it's a metaphor for something. And the metaphor that I took away from that is it's, they're so focused on, on their job that even like the small things kind of slip by. And that's what these, the, the, the Gelrakians were the, these small Newton, like Newton's, uh, I'm going to say, um, they're small issues, like they're small problems. That, potatoes. Yeah, they're small potatoes. <laughs> they're, they're, um, they're, they're there, but they're not really threatening. You know, they're like just... a nuisance. Is that the word? Nuisance. That's what I'm looking for. There we go. Teamwork. Lower Teamwork. Decks. Friendship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, graffiti there's... is not a huge uh, threat to the ship, I don't think, even though there was quite a lot of it. But hey, we know phasers will take it right off. So. Yeah, they're just nuisances. And and when you're like, I, I work in, a, in an office environment. And believe me, I've like walked from like the print shop back to my desk, done a bunch of work, went back to the print shop, and then they're like, a, there's like a FedEx guy that runs through, never saw him before, have no idea who he is. You know, then somebody else like runs through, need to use your bathroom. Well, it's not a public bathroom, but okay. I never stopped them. I didn't know what was going on. That wasn't my job. You know, my job was to get my, I was on the clock. I was, my, you know, my buffer, my buffer time was up. I was there to get my job done, you know, and just people just kind of like just kept zipping back, you know, back and forth. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But and it's might you like have that. noticed invaders with spears? Well, you know, not if they were going to the bathroom, apparently. (laughs) Yeah. And let me tell you something. When I have something hot off the press and both my hands and the ink is drying and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, I got no time for spears, man. I got a deadline to meet. (laughs) And that's what these people were doing. They were like watching the clock. They were watching that countdown. They were like, oh, my God, the captain's going to fry me if I don't get this thing done. If I don't purge this, if I don't like debust this or degauss this, you know, she's going to have me, you know, on the sling. That's what happens, you know, and it's it's a nice kind of parody on focusing on something that's really not working, you mm-hmm. know, and really not the way to go about running a starship and having somebody to say, you know what, if you do this because of these metrics and hit these markers and hit these milestones, we're going to be a great crew. That's not what a great crew does. A great crew works together, finds their strengths, finds their weaknesses, leans on each other, learns from each other and grows, right? We're not robots. We're not cogs in a wheel, you know, and, and we all have individual needs and wants and desires and reasons to to perform well. And those reasons are margaritas. Some of us are also <laughs> part robot, to be fair. 
That's because yeah. Rutherford. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a data somewhere aboard. <laughs> but Rutherford wants his free time with Tendi. Yes, they've got yeah. a kiss. <laughs> yeah. And not in that Mulder Scully kind of way. You know, we want real. In the way that she's always featured standing four feet behind him? Exactly. I have no. so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different show, though. <laughs> but that, that kind of points out, though, if you look at it, yeah, that if, if, if Starfleet uh, was so focused on the tasks and not on who they really are and who they can be, you wouldn't have a Starfleet, right? They'd have ceased to be a long time ago, which then you go to look at how they continue to portray the mirror universe and go, how did they get anywhere? How did, how are they still <laughs> in space? Right. But some of our most <laughs> iconic engineers from the Star Trek canon believe in buffer time. I mean, when oh, it's, it's explained, of, no, no, no. Yes, it's, a, it's a lift from Scotty and relics talking about your expectations with your captain. And, and so it's interesting to me that, this far in the future, it's still like, no, timers and regular. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, right, bureaucracy is always going to be bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. And there is also a little bit of a nod to like what, what Riker like butted up against, you know, against Jellico. Like Jellico mm-hmm. wanted a four duty shift, Riker, or three duty shift. Riker's like, well, we have a four duty shift. He's like, no, uh, we can't get it all done. He's like, get it done. Other way, but- yeah, or, the other way. The other way. I had it right the first time. So, yeah. uh, so but he's like, get it done, Will. You know, get it done. I don't care how it gets done. Just get it done. Efficiency is the way that we're going to get through this entire thing. Right? But that's not necessarily how you work with people. People aren't just, they're just not models of efficiency. They have their reasons for getting things done in the time that they need to get things done. And as long as it's done in, in a reasonable amount of time it lets mm-hmm. them be creative and it lets them be you know problem solvers and their own kind of like personal engineers and i think that's that's probably why i love this episode so much is because that's there's a huge truth to that there's a huge truth to letting these people become the officers that they're supposed to be and we saw that a lot with with mariners and ransoms interchange you know in the in the uh, galrakian prison you can't expect to be a posh officer all the time even though that's just kind of how she feels about ransom. And you can't be this kind of, you know, this, this rebellious, you know, um, you know, uh, snarky type of person, but there's more to her than that. And then the shirt came off and all bets were off. Look, I was here for it. I'm more male nudity in Star Trek. (laughs) It's also, we've seen so many tropes, especially in this episode. There's a ton of Trek tropes. And I thought we would have been remiss if the shirt didn't at least get ripped. And then again, the two fist, two hand punch. So good. Worf is so proud somewhere. Well, technically Mariners got ripped too, right? She lost a part of her sleeve. So that's true. They both had uh, apparel damage. You're right. Equal opportunity nudity. (laughs) In Star Trek. Yay. And she was showing off all her scars. So I all her scars. Also true. Yeah. And I love the Jaws, the little Jaws reference there. You know, it was pretty much kind of like, you know, uh, Quentin Hooper you know, showing off their scars, you know, and bonding over those moments. So I would be and totally th- here for Mariner fighting a space shark. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> but I think the bonding is, it, as you were saying earlier, um, you know, part of this is going to be, and I do agree with you, Norman, I think there's a good chance that Mariner might have been the, you know, all by the book all the time originally when, when she became an officer, when she started into Starfleet because of her mom. And I think what we're going to see is that it takes both of the main characters' attributes to sort of come together into what a real Starfleet officer should be, right? For me, that's all classic literary foils, right? Like, I, I love to use the example of Home and Watson make a fully functioning human being when they're together. But a more apt metaphor, 
in a in a thruple situation is uh, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, right? They all need to come together to be the most efficient, the most capable. And so it's nice to see that dynamic repeated here, uh, obviously with a little more humor bent, so they're a little more exaggerated. I'm really hoping we get a flashback in the next episode. I just want to see really eager beaver mariner busted into Starfleet for the first time. Yeah, that has to happen at some point this season, right? And, yeah. you know, like her, her whole issue with kind of like the command structure is I, I really do think that somewhere along the lines, a ransom type, you know, said, do this, these reasons, I'm doing what I'm, you know, I'm helping out, I'm commanding. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, no, this Emphasis is not how on the works. man. <laughs> I love that. He's like, I'm commanding. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Because we don't go until I give the order. Let's roll. <laughs> <laughs> But it's all posturing. But she thinks it's all posturing, and it kind of is. But then when she starts learning about her fellow, you know, officers, it's kind of not. But it kind of is. It was and a nice kind of- humanizing moment for him too, because Ransom could so easily be a really annoying one-dimensional character, and it's nice to see that he's not. Even if this is as much character development as we get from him, I'm super glad that we got it. Yeah, for sure. And we'll, I'd yeah, love to I'm- see how that develops. Yeah, obviously he was fully prepared for a court-martial for what he did. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the thing. That's the Starfleet commander part that, that actually fits, right? That, that's not humor. And he was ready for it because he believed that he was standing up for his crew. He was going to take that bullet for that phaser shot form, right? Because it's like no one, you know, no one's going to, you know, run into danger except for me. You know, that's my job. My job is to protect my crew. And the and real I- question is how many free weights does he own if he's going to take a long time packing them up? Well, if he has a room that has, you know, just turned off the gravity plating, he can have as many as he wants. <laughs> <laughs> floating around. Oh, my God. That's so funny. Vice Admiral for the win. Somebody call Chris Kula and get him on that, right? Polarize, oh polarize the commander's deck plating. Somebody has I just, plating. I need to see that now. <laughs> that is canon. <laughs> Somebody out there, one of you talented people, one of you talented artists out there, make that happen. Let's see what happens. <laughs> All right, Admiral, we have time for about one more question for uh, us, for Ashley, and then we got to get going on to the next call. I'll just make it a quick one then. You remember how there was a, a little teaser for this episode that had the whole um, wall of conspiracy type stuff, including the, uh, yeah. And that wasn't in the episode. It just made us think it was a time-related episode. So do we think we're going to see that in another episode, or is that just a tease for this one? Oh, God, I hope we see it in another episode, because I want to know what it means. But in animation, you don't animate something to that extent and then just cut it. Like, they're very specific. It's not like with live action, right, where you can shoot stuff and be like, oh, we'll just cut those two minutes. Hmm. I yeah. didn't know that you've like broken my brain a little bit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we might see it later because you're right, Ashley. Like animators, you know, they don't and and the production, they don't throw away scenes that have been generated. They don't throw those, you know, that that's money. That's time and money that's already spent. So they'll probably appropriate it for later, or they're just probably playing a huge joke on us. Either way, hopefully. <laughs> Mike's like, I've got you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Vice Admiral. Thanks so much for calling in. It's really good to see you again. You too. Norman, Ashley, good night, and talk to you later. Bye. So one of the things that we have to jump into, because we love talking about our favorite prop stuff that we can hold on to and show on screen, as Ashley's doing right now, is let's talk about the Eagle Moss Starships, official Starships collection. Let's. They are. These amazing. This one doesn't have a stand because I'm a bad props owner. 
These amazing replicas are officially licensed by CBS. Gotta love that. They are the, this one is not, but they are the official Star Trek Discovery Starships. And that collection is available only from Eagle Moss Hero Collector. You hear us talk about them a lot. I have a bunch on my desk and it's because we love Eagle Moss. And this special collection features brand new ship concepts, newer than this one from both seasons of CBS's Star Trek Discovery. I'm sure they have a bunch of cool ones just waiting to go for season three as well. That includes ships from upcoming season three. See, I already knew what I was talking about. Each has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson, not related to me, for accuracy and detail. Such good Unless it would be Ben V. Robinson, right? That would be closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you picked up the NXL one one of my favorite starships of all time. And they actually make that in an XL. But we're talking about the XL collection from Eagle Moss, the official Star Trek Discovery ships. And you'll notice the first thing that you'll see is that it's going to be the larger ship, like the over nine inches long ship. Yeah. And the first ship that you will get if you subscribe to this program is the USS Buran, the NCC-1422. That would be Lorca's ship before he destroyed it for nefarious reasons, as far as I remember. And as Ashley was saying, you know, these are the same type of ships that with the same type of quality materials as you see in the smaller ships. So all the ships in this collection, they're the larger scale. They're made of the same die-cast metal and ABS materials, and they're hand-painted with all the great reference and all the great teal. That's, you know, the detail that's provided to us by Ben Robinson. And you'll see that also in those really, really great collector's magazines that come along with those ships. Because, I mean, I, I know that I do it, Ashley, I'm probably sure I know that you do it. And we pour over page after page after page after page of all these amazing schematics and the breakdown of all the technology in these magazines. So listeners, viewers, people hanging out with us, what are you waiting for? It is time to start your collection of the Cardenas class. Start with that USS Baron destroyed by Lorca, as we said. And it is available to subscribers through this special Mission Log Live offer for only $9.95. Y'all don't even know what a good deal that is if you've never shopped at Eagle Moss before. And it comes with free shipping. All you have to do is go to herocollector.com slash mission log. Super easy. Sign up. Use the promo code mission at checkout. Get it? Branding. Got it from the show. You'll know what's going on. They have a bunch of other models too, including all the old ones that I showed and the iconic USS Discovery, the USS Corella, the reimagined Klingon Birds of Prey. I say every time the new Klingon Bird of Prey is so cool and so many more and they will ship monthly at an exclusive 20% discount off the standard retail price with continued free shipping. You're supporting USPS. And I love saying this. I say this on the uh, recorded show. I'll say it on the live show. But wait, Ashley, there's more. Yes. Yes. So the subscribers are also entitled to free gifts worth over a hundred bucks. Whoa. Yeah. Subscribe. You can get these really cool free gifts when you visit the the website. You can see those at www.herocollector.com slash mission log. And here's the thing that I have to say, but I hope you don't do, but I have to say it anyway. You can cancel your subscription at any time if you want to. But I wouldn't encourage that so that you can continue your collection and be dazzled with what's going to be happening and how many shelves you're going to need to buy and that extra room that you're going to need to make on your house for your entire collection. Not that I've done it, but I've kind of done it. Or, yeah, or if you're like us, it's your office. Yeah, exactly. That's, I've, so here's the thing. I've always, always, always wanted to have like what Admiral Marcus had in Star Trek Into Darkness and just that, right? Just that yes. whole row yes. of ships. 
you know, from the original Enterprise, from like the space shuttle Enterprise, all the way to the NX-01 and the Vengeance, right? Yeah, so you can do that. You can do that if you maintain your subscription. But if you don't, you can find all the details about how to continue your collection or cancel your collection at www.herocollector.com forward slash mission log. Or if you'd like to purchase your ships individually, you can do so online at shop.eaglemoss.com or you can buy your separate ships at your local comic book shop, support your local store for the regular price of $54.95 each. Now, as we're lining up a couple more calls, we still have a couple other things that uh, we'd like to talk about here uh, regarding, you know, what we felt was really interesting about Lower Decks 3 and maybe, maybe speculate on what's going to be happening with Lower Decks Part 4. So um, what other things stood out to you, Ashley, in this episode that, uh, that just, I don't know, when you were sitting down, you know, you, as we watch, we try and absorb, but all of a sudden you will just bust a gut laughing like I had no idea they would go that far. Uh, space, the funnest frontier. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Boiler, like, I, I, I call him a mediocre white guy last episode. <laughs> Some people were disappointed about that. Um, and he really, I, I, this is where I fell in love with Boimler as a character. And I was like, I get you. Okay, I understand. You can stay. Like, I really loved him living his best life amidst this chaos because it's such a nice contrast to the previous episodes where every time things get really hot under the collar, he is, like, about to lose all blood pressure and pass out. I loved that. I loved him being described as the Huffy Ensign. <laughs> I <know the> Huffy. <laughs> right. So good. And then, of course, ultimately, uh, the Boimler effect. Like, it was really for... For Boiler, it was like just a triumvirate of excellence, I thought, in this episode. Now, one thing that I always thought was interesting about, say, I don't know, all Starfleet martial arts, because I'm kind of like getting into like the whole Deep Space Nine rhythm, and I'm watching a lot of these episodes, and I'm picking up on certain things. And there was this episode that John and I just recorded, and it had Cisco like double axe handling, you know, like a soldier that he was trying to get by. What is it with Starfleet? and not throwing a single hand punch. Is it always a double axe handle punch? Because they made a big point of that with Ransom in this episode. Uh, from TNG forward, it's pretty consistently that. I thought, and this might be me misremembering an anecdote, please correct me politely if I'm wrong. I always thought that the, the double axe hand, that that was so that it was a distinctive fighting style from what we are used to seeing. I mean, because Star Trek does fall into the, the trap of being very referential to the 20th century and the 21st mm -hmm. century, right? Like, oh, Beastie Boys, it's classic music. Oh, the monkeys, it's like it's kind of the same gag because it's what we, the audience, are familiar with. Mm -hmm. However, one has to wonder, is there only, like, is that the Starfleet martial art? What does... Uh, I don't know, Boolean martial arts look like. Like in, in DC Comics, they have a really strong point of view that uh, Kryptonian martial arts is very different than Earthbound martial arts. But yeah, I don't, I don't really know why everybody goes for the two-handed punch, but <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> now, what did you think about the, the, the big reveal of the big, gigantic Vinden at the end being not what you expected him to be. I loved that. I really like to read. I know. It was so cute. He was kind of like, what if Gaston grew a brain halfway through Beauty and the Beast? Like, I <laughs> I would actually really love to see more from that. I know we're never going to go back to the Galrakians this season, uh, but I really love to see more about him. And I love that their leader was like, we're never going to get to crush anyone with our geodes. And I thought they did a pretty excellent job at building out a culture that we're not familiar with because I checked 
And according to the internet, so if I'm wrong, you're wrong, uh, this is their first appearance. So it's not based on a pre-existing side character. So I thought they did a really good job at giving them a full range of characteristics in, you know, honestly, maybe six whole minutes of screen time. And now every time I hear like a, a you know, the TOS reference, obviously we've heard a lot of TNG references, but when, when, uh, when Mariner was surrounded by like all the uh, Galrakians with the spirits, she's like, oh, surrounded by spears. Who am I, Kirk? What is this? Like the 2200s? So good. <laughs> Right? That was so funny. Now you also, actually... Go she ahead, also referenced Magus 3, which is an animated series reference in an episode that I misnamed in the at our first episode. I called it Magic to Make the Status a Man Go Mad, which is a Discovery episode. Magic to Magus <laughs> 3. Uh, and I was like, whoa. Because I honestly... We have a Cadian, which is a very on-the-face reference to the animated series. But I, I expected more animated series references. And I thought just throwing it away was the coolest way to do it instead of hanging a lantern on it. Yeah, I really like that. And you're, because of the cadence of the dialogue, everything, I mean, it really moves at a clip and it's, it's so fast. And I, maybe that's why I like watching them over and over and over again, because I'm getting more out of the dialogue and I'm seeing all the little gems and all the nuanced, you know, details and all mm-hmm. the little trivia. Um, now you actually have me like, completely like you know re-visualizing him the the giant alien as uh gaston you know like yeah. every <laughs> how do you every read this there's no picture covered with hair you know that song is amazing <laughs> <laughs> so i have now i have a whole headcanon going with that kind of thing so what else we have a few minutes left uh, in our discussion uh, before we start wrapping things up so I'd actually love to ask you a couple of like our beginner questions since this is your first time coming on and talking about Lower Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. So let's start with easy question. Who's your favorite character so far? Right now, my favorite character, I know this is a cop-out and I'm sorry. No such thing. My favorite character is the Cerritos. Really? That's a good answer. Do you like the design? Because the design is very polarizing. I, at first... Um, wasn't sure, and because I only saw it in 2D. But the Cerritos itself kind of has a character. I love the opening sequence for the Cerritos, you know, where it's kind of like it's sucked into the black hole and it's kind of like powers its way out. Then it's almost kind of like, uh, it just kind of like skins that little ice, uh, you know, ice mountain. And mm-hmm. <laughs> my favorite part of the entire intro, though, is that giant lightning bug sucking on a warp cell. I yes! think it's, and it's so cute. He's like, look at my eyeball. I'm so cute. Look at me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because it's, it's menacing, but also adorable at the same mm-hmm. time. And, and I feel that the, uh, the Cerritos, it's starting to have like its own, it's, it's, its own kind of personality in a way. Um, I know that's weird. And I know that you can, we kind of kind of um, you know, identify with the Enterprise or even Deep Space Nine as a station as part of the crew. It's, it's part of the story. Uh, and I don't really care about like not making sense of this warp nacelle, can't transport these people through a Jeffries tube. Yeah, I get that. You know, I, I've done my reading and I know all the, how the architecture works, but I don't care, right? I like it. It's cool looking. It's fun. And they really do a great job like animating it. Also, um, as, a, uh, as a transplant from the East Coast that grew up in Southern California for the last 20 years, I spent a lot of time in Cerritos. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, especially in a, lot of, like, in a lot of the Filipino sections because they have a lot of great Filipino restaurants in Cerritos. I was going to say, because that's where all the good food is. <laughs> So my aunt and uncle used to take me to a place called Goldilocks, great Filipino restaurant. And it's like, where are we going to Cerritos this Sunday? Are we going to Cerritos this Sunday? So it kind of has a little, you know, special place in my heart, that name. 
I think that's so sweet. <laughs> and I okay. can't wait until Eagle Moss makes one. XL. I, you know, I would have bet if STLV had happened, we would have had a hint. And I bet we'll have a Cerritos by next year. I sure hope so. I want one. Yeah. I also think, I, like I said, I love so many of the character designs. Like, I want action figures of this crew so bad. Oh, I think it'll happen. I mean, this thing is highly marketable. I mean, we can talk about like the business aspect of it. It's very, it's highly marketable. I can't wait to see what they're going to do in 4K when they put this out, you know, in a disc set. And maybe we'll see even more cut footage or even conceptual footage. That'd be that so we cool. Love pouring over because that's, that's, and seeing like interviews with a, you know, all the actors. And for me, um, the big surprise was Jerry O'Connell. Cause I didn't know that he had that in him. Right. I, you know, he's a, he was a voice of Superman for a long time. Over in the DC camp. Oh, I did not know that. See, my yeah. Superman has always been Tim Daly. So. Oh, my heart. Me too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jerry's the voice of uh, a lot of the new movie canon. So. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right. No, he's, he's really good. I think everyone's done a really great job. As, like, you're, you're not a newcomer to Lower Decks. I actually think Lower Decks is going to bring a lot of people who are, like, maybe casual Trek fans into the shows. Um, but is there anything that you really want to see them tackle or a cameo or a reference that you would love to see going forward? Well, see, I like the way that they're handling the references now because they're kind of like tongue in cheek references and that's fine. You know, you don't want anything to be like too heavily uh, in canon, like brought in because sometimes you focus too much on that. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to see, you know, this is a, a new crew, new stories. We're seeing completely new environments. Like you said, the Galrakians are brand new and that's great. Right. Like, why do they have it? Like they have such a, you know, um, a dilemma with or, or a, a conflict, you know, with this other race of wood, wood versus crystal. It's like it's it's awesome. It's funny, ridiculous, awesome. Um, and I love crystals, too. Uh, big Superman fan, big Superman, too. Fan. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't really have anything that I want to have specifically seen. Like, I don't want to necessarily see like the Lower Decks version of Picard come in because mm-hmm. then it changes Picard's tone. Um, and he's out there. He's already been established. Uh, maybe um, I'm always a big fan of seeing any version of Garrick. So I don't know, maybe an animated version of Garrick. That would be amazing. Or like, say, um, I would love to see, like, say, Ensign Rowe. Or I uh, love Ensign Bro. <laughs> yeah. And her come in and just maybe, I don't know, like kind of like maybe show Mariner what's up because she is an ensign. Mariner's She's an tough ensign. Tough too. Yeah. And maybe she likes like, you know, I, I see what's going on here, uh, Mariner. It's like I see exactly what you're all about. And maybe she kind of like shakes her tree a little bit. I don't know. Ooh, I would be very here for that. <laughs> yeah. Lady and fights. And maybe we get Michelle Forbes on to do the voice. That would be fantastic. Why not? That's, the, that's one of the greatest things, too, about Trek is that so many iconic performers are still working. Yeah. And voice acting is a way to get them like completely back into the saddle. Uh, I'm a big fan of like the big Finnish audio books. So, um, yes. you know, hearing Tom Baker come back as the fourth doctor in any version is like literally like the most soothing music to my ears. When ever. they made Charlie Cannon during the uh, anniversary for the eighth doctor, I was so happy. <laughs> Thank you for do- coming to Doctor Who Corner today. <laughs> so like coming back to like, like your original question though, I don't, you know, I really like how they're handling it right now. There's just enough... Um, touchstones to like all of the different um, shows in the series in the 24th century universe that are, are anchoring the show without stealing its thunder. Yeah. Um, now, if there's one thing I will be completely honest about, uh, and we only have a couple minutes here, so I'll try and be brief. Um, 
I, I was telling my friend, Charlotte Schmidt, you know, she's, uh, she used to be the, uh, the former co-host for uh, To The Journey. Uh, mm-hmm. is another Trek FM podcast about Voyager. And uh, we've been talking about Lower Decks. She loves Lower Decks. And I said, I think I would have loved Lower Decks more if in fact that I didn't um, love the Orville when it came out as much. Because, I've seen a lot of comparison between the two, yeah. understandably so. And that's the thing. It's like they're, they're doing a lot of really good live action humor with the Orville, like kind of like self-referential humor and irreverent humor, you know, based on the period that they're in, this 24th century of Star Trek. But I see it live action and they've achieved great things in, mm-hmm. that, type of, in that type of tone live action. But I have to separate myself from that and like li- give like Lower Decks the credit that it deserves as a separate piece of work. And I, and I think that's how I feel about it as a, an entire um, uh, addition to the Star Trek universe. Everything doesn't necessarily have to fit into this giant Tetris puzzle of does it work, does it not work, does it work, does it not work. It's its thing. And it works for some people and it doesn't work for some people. And I'm glad, I'm so glad it's working for me because I wasn't sure if it was going to, to be honest. I'm so glad that you said that because especially now that we're in this sort of Trek renaissance and we're getting all these things in all these different tones, tackling all these different types of story. It can be hard, especially when you've been a fan for so long to not be like, but this is the, this is the thing that I love and this is my specific thing. And it's, I'm really glad that you were like, yeah, I have, we have to appreciate it for what it is. And I, I'm with you. Like when John asked me to do the show, I was like, I really hope I like it. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad that I, I've really like, I've been, I've been all in from the beginning. Um, but yeah, it, it is true that all Trek is Trek, especially if it's branded by CBS and it's definitely Trek yep. and it's all valuable. And that's what is so beautiful about us as humans and about art and about Star Trek specifically. What a nice note to end on Norman. Oh, so well said. So well said. <laughs> and that's, that's the beauty of Star Trek. You know, I equate it to like, you know, you know kind of like missing Las Vegas and thinking about the Star Trek invention. Oh, I, yeah. I equate pretty much everything when it comes to large choices to a buffet, you know, um, also because I haven't had dinner yet. I'm getting a little hungry. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, in a buffet, you start, you grab your plate and that plate is your blank canvas on trying to approach whatever fandom it is. It's brand new. There's nothing on it. Then all of a sudden you see something that you really, really, really like. You're familiar with it. So you go there and you like load your plate up with it. But as you're walking through the buffet, you see things like that looks interesting. It smells interesting. Maybe I'll try that. Maybe I won't. And then you have your meal and you're like, you know what? I kind of like those other things. Or maybe I just should try those other things. And you start expanding your palate. And then you realize that the things that you said that you didn't want to try, you tried, you're like, what have I been missing my entire life? Why have I not eaten bacon until now? Oh, no. (laughs) Tragic. Or spam or whatever. But it's. Oh, but for for real, for real, though, spam is excellent. (laughs) And some people won't try it. And I get that. But basically, I'm just trying to like anecdotally. (laughs) I'm making a huge, uh, a huge humorous point on the great thing about Star Trek is that there are now so many different ways for people to be able to not only insert themselves in the fandom, but be able to connect with people that they've never been able to connect with before on a different level. Because animation, aside from the original series animation, the animated series, animation hasn't really been in the forefront. And there are a lot of fans out there, younger fans that really love animation. And they really want that to represent their part of the fandom. And now it is being given to them. And are, do they care about the reverence to the seriousness tone of Star Trek? Maybe, maybe not. But the great thing is, is that they can have a conversation about it now. And they can talk about, wow, 
my fandom is being represented now in two ways with animation and now with star trek and now i can start cosplaying that stuff and looking for white boots you know and all that kind of stuff the the delta on the bottom of their boots makes me so happy it looks I love the uniform. I think the uniforms look great. <laughs> and cosplayers will go there and they mm-hmm. better because all I want to do is roll up to the I-bar in the Rio if Star Trek Las Vegas is still there and see someone kick up their feet and see the Cerritos logo on their boot. I mean, margaritas will abound in Quarks next year. I'm speaking in the universe that it's happening next year because I want to go next year. And so fingers crossed or um, what, 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 what crossed? That's so funny. <laughs> I've been dying for that scene since it was in the trailer. Don't give me that sarcastic Vulcan salute. <laughs> well, folks, uh, we're right about on time here, and we were trying to get in uh, Captain Lou, but Captain Lou wasn't able to join us. So next time, Captain Lou, we'll try and get you on the show. Um, actually, thank you so much for such a fantastic conversation. It was really a pleasure to actually meet you and, and talk with you. I've been a big fan of yours you know, since the you know, Red Shirt Diaries, and I, I kind of gushed about that at the beginning of our show but um it's been a pleasure actually having you here as co-host so i hope you had a good time too i had an amazing time and i've been listening to your ds9 episodes so this is a real treat for me as well oh, i hope you like them i've said I some do. things like <laughs> <laughs> so anyway i just want to let you know about all the housekeeping stuff that i have to say at the end of the show before we clock out so mission log live is produced by roddenberry entertainment executive producer rod roddenberry technical production on mission log live is done by the I didn't write this. Somebody wrote this. The incorrigible Earl Green. I should say the immaculate Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest of the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. Shabam. There we go. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, hey, give us a look over there at patreon.com slash mission log. Thanks to everyone who joined us live or will join us later. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We look forward to seeing you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.